that you have described what was said by another as a problem means you have created a problem. You become the problem you create. This is one of my favorite quotes and it is by the scholar Sarah Ahmed who is a feminist and a queer theorist. She's also specialized in critical race theory as well as post-colonialism. And the statement she makes rings very true to me. If I consider gatherings where somebody makes a racist statement or sexist statement and I tell them, hey, what you just said is actually racist or sexist. And the person gets defensive, invoking humor as a justification. Well, it was just a joke. You don't have a sense of humor. So you become what Sarah Ahmed refers to as the feminist killjoy. How dare you ruin everybody's fun? How dare you create discomfort for the person who made the problematic statement? So it is easier for them to victimize themselves and turn you into into the problem so there's a reversal of the situation so that they can protect themselves and they blame you instead they deflect from their own problematic behavior and you become as a matter of fact the problem so why am i talking about this actually i saw a reel today posted by um, the african stream on instagram and it was a discussion between Yelda Hakim from Sky News and the British journalist and filmmaker Miriam Francois and the American businessman Bill Browder. So what happened is that uh, Yelda Hakim mentioned that the Houthis hijacking of commercial ships put hundreds of billions of dollars at risk. Francois has an interesting and important reaction to that statement because she insists on the fact that one cannot decimate a population and expect there to be no consequences. So just as a reminder, the Houthis are the Yemeni group that hijacked several commercial ships and there have been delays in packages so trade is international trade is impacted by the houthis actions so francois claims that certain sacrifices have to be made as long as there is no ceasefire what Hakim does is that she brings the conversation back to the economic losses and she brings in Browder when Francois contradicts her argument. So Browder, as a businessman, of course, backs her up and says it has had a huge impact on trade and causes inflation. Francois nevertheless insists on the ceasefire and then Hakim says well I think we'll have to leave it at that and Francois adds that consequences should be expected when an entire population is being erased then Hakim's reaction is interesting because she separates the two questions as if the Houthis actions weren't related to the genocide that is currently happening. So she says those are two different conversations. 
what happens here is something that I have observed a lot when I do activist work, when I call people out in private as well as in the framework of my job. Because my job is to work for gender equality, LGBTQIA plus rights, and to fight racism. So I would say I'm an activist. I cannot keep quiet when people say such problematic things. And it doesn't mean I have no bias. I'm a white woman. Obviously, I have a lot of privilege. I was born and raised in Europe. And I may project my Eurocentric gaze onto others as well. I'm not immune to that. We all have our racist and sexist biases, even if we have done a lot of self-reflection, even if we have done a lot of work to deconstruct our biases, our stereotypes and our prejudices. It is an ongoing process. It is a constant learning effort. You never get to the point where you are perfect at this. And it's okay to make mistakes. You can learn from that. But the important thing is to be aware of your biases and to catch yourself when they creep up and tell yourself, no, this is biased thinking. So I do a lot of this activism in different kinds of settings. And what I've been realizing is that indeed there is a lot of changing the topic interrupting me and just moving on to something else or saying oh we're not gonna talk about this now I don't want to talk about this um, so they would bring in their arguments and then they wouldn't allow me to speak to bring in my own arguments it happens all the time and I'm constantly being told I am too sensitive, I am too negative, I am too cynical and so on and so forth. And I thought it was me. Am I too radical? Am I too polemic? Am I too blunt? And as much as I think that mutual respect is important and I, that I cannot go around and just offend other people as I please, there is a line. There is a moment from which you have to be able to question your own problematic behavior. You have to not make it about your discomfort. Your discomfort is not more important than the trauma or the pain that is inflicted through racism, misogyny, ableism etc. Let me give you another example of this. A while ago I organized a panel on violence against women and most of the women that were invited to the panel were survivors. Same as me, I'm a survivor myself and even if I wasn't the one to be on the stage I could relate to the women that were sharing their experiences. <sighs> we wanted to shed light on the legal situation as well and there was this lawyer who felt uncomfortable by actual victims of abuse and violence pointing out 
the flaws in the legal system. So that person withdrew because they felt attacked in their quality as a lawyer. And they may have been scared to help revealing how the system can re-traumatize victims and how the system doesn't do those victims actual justice. So they withdrew very last minute and put their discomfort over the suffering of the victims. And I have to say that I am tired of this deflecting technique that is to shift the blame on the person who points out the real problem and to change the topic or silence the person who points out the problematic statements because of discomfort. When we are in, when we talk about things like violence, sexual violence, domestic abuse, genocide, war, can't we have the integrity to call a spade a spade and say there is no justification for this? We cannot accept this. It is not about dollar. It is not about the person who has all the privilege. We have to consider the victims. Victims in the case of Gaza who don't have water, who don't have food, who lost their homes, who are being prosecuted and we still make it about dollars. How dare we not allow that conversation how dare we silence someone points out that the deaths of thousands of people ten thousands of people is more important than making profit and packages that are delivered with a delay how dare we how dare we then say that the person who points this out is the problem. How dare we put ourselves in the position of the victim in that case? We make losses in dollars. Isn't the loss of a human life a much higher cost? Isn't the loss of many children a much higher loss? And it is shocking in this case to what extent we live by capitalist realism. Capitalist realism is a concept developed by Mark Fisher, who wrote a book about it. And you can read that. So basically what it says is that we cannot, we are not capable anymore of imagining the end of capitalism. So something as excruciatingly terrible and horrifying as genocide becomes more acceptable than economic losses. What is wrong with humanity? In a recent reel on Instagram, Alok V. Menon spoke of humanity having an allergic reaction to itself. And that way of putting it really spoke to me. Because what we all have in common is our humanity. Isn't that enough? Isn't it enough to see others' humanity, to respect them, to preserve their dignity, and, and to grant them autonomy? As if it was even natural that one group gives permission to the other to have their autonomy and their agency. 
in this context, it's even more vital that we acknowledge everybody's right to self-determination. Anything else is neocolonialism. And then there's law. The International Court of Justice ruled that Israel should do everything, quote-unquote, within its power to respect the Genocide Convention. And an immediate reaction of the U.S. was to say, oh, well, they didn't say ceasefire, so Israel has the right to defend itself. So what this means is that Israel victimizes itself. And law is discretionary. I recommend reading the Italian philosopher Giorgio Agamben on this. He talks about sovereignty and the state and how that relates to law. So basically, those who hold the power create the law. That's the first thing. And second, they are the ones that get to change the law. They can call a state of exception. They can call a state of emergency. And then they that means that they can suspend the law. So they can either apply it as their interpretation wants them to apply it, or they can suspend it altogether, which is what happened during World War II or within the covid pandemic not in the same way of course but the state of exception allowed people in power to suspend certain rights for the greater good well not in every case is it a good another reading that i would recommend specifically in uh, the context of palestine is uh, nora erica's book justice for some it was written a few years ago so it doesn't address the current situation but it shows as well how law is a question of power and how international law including the law of war is not applied equally in every context and how it protects the interests of the most privileged in the context of a research project of my own I address the question of the law of war myself. And I want to say that similar to capitalist realism, there's a kind of realism of war. And the two are related, of course, because there's an industry behind warfare as well. So we cannot completely dissociate it. But let's just zoom in a bit and ask ourselves, why do we need law? about war what does it do well in fact it normalizes that there's something like war in the first place because law is a system of rules that regulates social functioning so we need law in one way or another to set up some rules even in different kinds of systems there needs to be a common understanding of what our society should look like in episode two, um, my friend John and me mentioned the, the book by Dean Spade on mutual aid. And Dean Spade explains how the concept of mutual aid also needs a certain set of rules to be successful. So we do need laws, but laws should be applied in a way that is actually creating equity, that is not discriminating that doesn't create second-class citizens, that is not suspendable 
by those who are in power and that doesn't reproduce neocolonial asymmetry. So I want to just get back to the notion of discomfort for a bit. If we want to change the order of things, if we want to create something better for everybody, the discomfort is necessary. We have to sit through that discomfort and as Miriam Francois says we need to make sacrifices we need to stop prioritizing the dollar all right this was a bit of a rant <laughs> but I think it's important that as many people as possible raise awareness on the cruelty of this kind of a narrative that so much money is being lost while we don't care about human lives and we could also take this further and talk about what implications war has on nature and on animals which is something that is barely ever spoken about so there's so much damage being caused and all that the privileged people who are in safety think about is dollars all right let me wrap this up it is a delicate topic but it's necessary as we collectively cannot afford anymore to hide behind our discomfort so thank you for listening especially if you listened through this and stay tuned for the next one